Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 64. Today we are looking at New Covenant Identity. Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. The New Covenant. It's a good topic. Ah, very good topic. We're going to take a couple episodes and just unpack it. It's going to be great. But first, an icebreaker. Ah. Would you rather go to an art museum or a history museum? History. No question. (laughs) Six days a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would be the same. I enjoy art museums, but I, I I would lean toward history museum. Any particular history that your mind jumps to? You know, I, I like anything related to the Bible. So I like, you know, ancient Near East, uh, Roman history, all those kind of things. That's my favorite. Um, then I go from there. Hey, I am your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, that is probably what I would do as well. Well, hey, before we get into the topic of the episode, I want to give a shout out to Deeper Walks School of Ministry. Dad, do you want to give a quick pitch for prayer ministry certification? Yeah. So one of the core things we do at uh, Deeper Walk is train people to do prayer ministry. Um, A lot of my life's been spent uh, walking alongside people who needed uh, freedom. And so they had spiritual warfare ministry that they needed, or they had uh, wounds in their heart that had been unattended, and they needed somebody to pray with them to connect with God in those uh, damaged places in their hearts. And so that's what they uh, we train people to do. And what separates it, it's not just information. If you just want the information, you get that relatively cheaply at our website. But if you want uh, really to get trained in this and practice, then the School of Ministry is for those people. Awesome. So if you want certification in Deeper Walk Prayer Ministry, this is your opportunity The application window for January's cohort just opened today, and it will close in December, but don't wait until the last minute. If you're interested, get your application in now because there is limited space. This cohort is going to run from January through December 2024, and there'll be a summer break in there. Um, So there is space for up to 20 people to learn and journey together in online classes and community and yeah, if you're interested in this and future ho- cohorts, check out the School of Ministry page at Deeper Walks website. It's it's wonderful. We have so many wonderful people who have gone through it, and so yeah, many. Yeah, good- most of the people who get into this course, they like staying together afterwards too. It's like ah, I like all these new people I've connected to. This is great. So I think yeah. um, it's it's a, it's a good investment. You get yeah, it's community building as well as content training. It's great. Well, hey, we have been talking about belief-based identity from the kingdom versus cosmos perspective, walking through the cosmos's world, flesh, and devil designs on our identities. And now we are moving into the kingdom, looking at the new covenant and how it informs how we understand not only our own identity, but God's as well. So Father, let us start basic. In the context of the scriptures, what is the new covenant? Okay, so there's an old covenant and a new covenant. And in fact, uh, it helps me to start this way, and that is there was a, a promise covenant that was made to Abraham, and then there was a law covenant that was made with Moses. And uh, the uh, promise was like an engagement where God says to Abraham, you're going to have kids, they're going to grow up someday, you know, metaphorically, they'll become my, you know, wife. I'm, and and so there, it's like to... Uh, two fathers negotiating a betrothal as they did back in the ancient world. And he, uh, 
And then the the law is the wedding covenant. And the wedding covenant basically was, okay, Israel, do you accept Yahweh to be your God forsaking all others? And Israel said, yes. And God said, then out of all peoples on earth, you'll be my chosen special treasured possession. The problem was Israel didn't keep the covenant, right? They they basically committed adultery on their honeymoon and kept committing adultery all the way to the end until they were sent into exile, at which time both Jeremiah and Ezekiel say a new covenant is needed. And God is going to send a new covenant, and this covenant's not going to be like the old covenant. It's going to be a new one. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he established the new covenant that replaces the old covenant. And what this does is the new covenant defines who are God's people, right? Do you belong to God or not? And the entry point, and so just like any, uh, like in today's world, the most common covenant is is a wedding covenant. Uh, a wedding covenant defines your relationship in very specific terms <laughs> and says, you uh, you two are now one, so learn to act like it, right? <laughs> That's kind of the way that goes. And and then you grow in your ability to live in oneness uh, after that, but the covenant connects you together and so and defines your relationship. In the same way, the new covenant says, on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you belong to God. You are in his family, and this now defines who you are. Therefore, the new covenant is the foundation of on which we build uh, everything that goes on in our lives. Now, take it a step further to connect this to what we've been talking about with attachment. In a wedding, right, what I'm doing is forming a relational attachment with this person. What the covenant does is it defines it and it confirms it. In the same way, I form an attachment with Jesus Christ by faith that connects us relationally, and I want to grow relationally. But what the covenant does is it confirms that relationship and it defines that relationship. And that's why it's so important. We need to understand how the new covenant has defined our relationship with God. And in the process, it will define things about us and things about God. And that makes it really foundational to all of discipleship. Yeah. Well, so, and and part of this, this goal is reconciliation of human and God together and and restoring that relationship. And um, you have said, and I, I just want to read this. I love it. You said, sin is not the point. It is the obstacle. Obedience is not the goal. It is the fruit. Do you want to unpack that thought? Yeah. A lot of people feel like, they have a gospel of sin, basically, and that is that God's so mad at us because of our sin that Christ had to die, um, and that's just how bad our sin is. And that's about as far as the gospel goes. They don't seem to understand that God loves us so much that he wants to be with us. The obstacle keeping that from happening is sin. So God had to deal with sin in order to get what he wanted, which was reconciliation, a relational reconciliation that we could be together uh, with him without that obstacle between us anymore. So the gospel is really about relationship, and it deals with sin to make that relationship possible. Also, some people have the idea that you have to perform or be a good enough person in order to to be saved. But the whole point of the gospel is that nobody can be good enough, that our obedience can't get us you know, to into a relationship with God, you can't earn it. So what the gospel teaches is that the relationship is a free gift, the forgiveness is a free gift, and righteousness is the natural fruit then. The obedience that we uh, that we live out is the natural result of being in a relationship with God. Huzzah. Huzzah. So <laughs> let's 
I want to I want to dwell more on God's identity and what the new covenant shines a light on from that perspective and not just oh this is who I am in Christ but like who is Christ who is what is um yes you get it yeah no so the uh there's two key words that are used over and over again in the new testament about God related to the gospel one is mercy the other is grace and it says out of his great mercy he he did this. What does that mean? He looked at us in our predicament. He had pity on us. He said, these people are in a hopeless situation. I will have mercy on them and I will do something about it. So we weren't like knocking on heaven's doors saying, we are in desperate position. You know, please rescue us because we were happily ignorant of our plight. And God just had mercy on us, said, I'm going to do something about this. I want to uh, take care of it. So he initiated everything. He put a plan in place. He sent his son. He he did everything himself to make this available to us out of his great mercy. The other thing that we're told about God is his grace. And the idea now, there's two kinds of grace. There is a grace that is earned, and there is a grace that is not earned. So for example, but this isn't even talking about that. This is talking <laughs> about the graciousness of God. And it's this idea that what kind of God is he? He is the sort of God who not only looks at us with mercy and with compassion, but he does something about it. And what he does is so far above and beyond what is uh, what would be expected. You, you look at God and say, he has a lavish grace. He has a remarkable grace. So why don't um, why don't you go ahead and you just said there are like three graces. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So um that you're right. Uh, yeah. Um so on let's start with the like grace you earn. Right? So you've had people say, well, uh, you know, you should forgive that person. They well they don't deserve it. Right? And there there there's truth to that, but we don't forgive people because they deserve it. We forgive people for our own sake so that we can be free from the bondage that we're in. But there is a sense in which sometimes uh, I extend grace to you in order to breed loyalty in you, right? There is a there's sort of a give and a take to it, um, and the same thing with blessing. You, it might be easier to think of of grace as blessing in this sense that there are blessings that come because of obedience, and there are blessings that come because you know a righteous generation passes on a blessing to future generations. That's more of the earned blessing, if you will. But then there is this unearned grace. There is this unearned blessing where God gives it to you as a free gift. So salvation falls into that category of this is a free gift that is given by God. And so you got to look at it. There are good things that happen to us that God gives to us as a blessing, sort of as a reward for you know good behavior, if you will. But that isn't everything. And where we get in trouble is if all of your idea of God's blessing is that obey and you'll be blessed is your only theology – you will inevitably end up in legalism mm -hmm. because now you're going to, and you're going to feel like God owes you, yeah, right? It's very transactional. It's very transactional. Yeah. Yep. And so there are things like that, you know, just like you, you know, you and I have a grace-based relationship. That doesn't mean that if you don't do something good, you don't get like a special thing now and then because like, well done, you know, you really did a good job. Let's, let's celebrate that. There's our blessings that come your way because of obedience or performance, but there's also blessings that are, Yours just because of being part of the family. And it's the same way, you know, we could apply that to a whole lot of different relationships. 
that thank you thank you for pausing on that i'm sure someday we will do a grace a whole a whole little series on grace and unpack more but i just wanted to make sure we paused and people aren't like wait three graces so, yeah it's, it's good. well you think any word has what's called a semantic range Mm-hmm. And so one of the mistakes that we make in exegesis is forcing a word to mean exactly the same time, thing every time it shows up, mm-hmm. right? So it's a mistake. You've got to look at the context sometimes to know which version of the word is in, in mind in a particular passage. One of my favorite versions of that is the word bank. Like there's a river bank or there's a bank where you keep your money. And maybe poetically those can be, you know – given the same nuance, but you don't usually think, oh, yes, this bank means that bank. Yeah. When you say, hey, I'm, let's go on a date. I want to go sit on the bank of the river. <laughs> it's like, wait, there's not a bank by the river, right? It's, so clearly context tells you what you mean by that mm-hmm. word. It's the same thing with a lot of words in the Bible. And again, one of the exegetical mistakes people make is forcing words to have the same meaning regardless of context. And we have to be careful when we do that, even with words like grace. Mm-hmm. Cool. Was there any? Are there any scriptures for um, understanding God's identity in this context, or any any more you want to unpack there? I know this question is way more complicated than it sounds. Sure. But. Well, you know, if you go back into the Old Testament in the Hebrew, uh, God talks about. We read about um, Psalm eighty nine is a covenant psalm where it says, "Give thanks to the Lord for He is good." Right, his chesed endures forever, and we it it all we're told that over and again two words are paired together, and it's this word chesed and the word emeth. Now chesed can be translated love, loving kindness, but it's this idea of of attachment love that says God because we belong to Him and He loves us because of that, and then emeth is this idea is usually translated faithfulness. But I actually prefer the translation of uh, integrity or truthfulness. And it's this idea that God's character is that he loves us, that he is trustworthy because he is a person of integrity. And integrity, the best definition I've heard of integrity is that your words and your deeds match, right? You don't say one thing and do another. Your words and your deeds line up. And so God, because of his integrity, is faithful and trustworthy. God, because he's loving, you know, uh, wants what's best for us. And the result is that God is good. And so that means I can trust God and I can trust his love for me and know that the plans that he's putting together for me are for my good and not for my evil. And it takes us to this whole idea. It's therefore, if God is for me, who can be against me? And uh, let's push into and rest in that love. That's beautiful. Thank you. All right, let's start looking more like tying us and our identity back into how we interact with God and his identity, Um, starting maybe with the idea of the role we play, that we are image bearers of So before you ever get to the new covenant, right, there is an identity that God gives that every human being has um, before the new covenant even comes into play. And that's the identity that we get via Adam of being image bearers. Right. So in Genesis chapter five, verse one, Beck probably helped me if I looked this up and had it right in front of me. So a little rustling of the pages here as I look <laughs> for Genesis five one. Here it is. So it says this is the uh Toledot, right, of Adam's family line. This is the written account of Adam's family line. I'm, I'm in the NIV. It says when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. 
he created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them Adam, right? Or he named them mankind when they were created. And then it said, so notice a couple things there. The likeness of God, the image of God, um, male and female, they were blessed. They're all collectively called Adam, right? So now we get to verse three, and he's just introduced us to likeness of God, image of God. And it says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and named him Seth. Now, the wording there is not accidental, right? We're just told we're made in the likeness of God. In Genesis 1, we're told we're made in the image of God. And now, for the first time, we're given something to compare that to. Like, what does it look like to be in the likeness and image of God? Well, he's saying it's just like Adam having Seth, you know, a father to the to the son. This is an a likeness and image is passed down. And what that tells me is that we were cre all of us were created to be in relationship with God. We are created to be family. We are created to be his children. So we've already seen that male and female are in his image. And so, you know, he it could have been talking about the birth of Adam's daughter, but in this case it's talking about his son, and that it is it the likeness means, you know, Eve didn't give birth to a giraffe. Right? <laughs> you know, Eve gave birth to a a human. Now some people have taken this too far and said, oh, we're divine, you know, God, you know, but that's to be in the image of God doesn't mean we're little gods running around, but what it means is that we are children of God, therefore we are in a unique way designed and created for a relationship with God. So the way that I, I explain this a lot is that God is the sun and we're the moon, and so we are just dark rocks floating through space until we come into relationship to the sun, and then the brilliance of the sun reflects off of us, and we ourselves become glorious, right? That we don't chain our full meaning and purpose in life until we're in that relationship. So part of what the image of God says is that we are created to reflect God's glory. We are designed to be in relationship with Him. And it's society that God designed us uniquely to um, bear His image, uh, and that's why giraffes don't run the world. So <laughs> This is great. Keep talking. So um, <laughs> do you talk about our hearts? And, and and God's image? So, yeah. So when it, God created each of us with a unique identity, it's like covenant gives everybody the same identity, right? Covenant means we all who are in the covenant have this same identity. But when you start talking about being in the image of God, and you talk about the heart that he uniquely gave you and what it means to be you, right, in a created, unique sort of way, that tends to come out in what uh, Thrive Today Life Model calls uh, heart values. And so heart values are those things that really make your heart come alive. And one of the ways that you can kind of check to see, well, what is my heart value? What do I really, what am I really passionate about is to, you can do this in a positive and a negative way. And the, uh, in the positive way, it's like what really makes you excited? What really brings your heart to life when you are able to, to participate in that? And the other, the negative side of it is what really makes your heart hurt? when you see it happening and what do you want to do about it? So for example, this staying on that hurt part of it is if you see somebody in pain, some people are going to go, Oh, I want to give them a hug. 
right? It says their heart value is mercy. What I really want to do is, you know, comfort them directly and immediately and make them feel better. Some people are going to go, I want to bring somebody to justice for hurting this person. Their heart value is more justice. Somebody else is going to say, we need to fix the system that makes this stuff happen. And they're like, you know, their heart value is leadership. They want to change this whole the way this whole thing works. And so our heart values are shown in the way that we respond to those things that get us upset. This is what I would like to do about this. Um, And obviously, we might want to do all three, right? But there's one of them that really, when you start thinking, man, if I could do that, it would bring such life to me and life to other people. And that is how you kind of know what your heart values are. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, for the sake of uh, getting to this next part, while we have time, um, I want us to give a, a an overview of what we're about to go into for the next several episodes. So um, we're going to be digging deeper into your acrostic pact, P-A-C-T, and how that informs our kingdom identity. So would you give an overview of like what that relationship in to the new covenant and? So how do I put this? Yeah. <laughs> In trying to define what the new covenant is, the biggest challenge we have is there's no one passage that says, here is the new covenant, right? We can do that with the old covenant to some extent. That is, there are 600 some, (laughs) you know, commandments, and you collect those commandments, you put them together, and you say, here's the old covenant, and then you can get a list of blessings, and you get a list of curses. You say, if you obey these 613 commandments, and you, you know, uh, you'll get these blessings, and if you don't, you'll get these curses, and it's all very straightforward. But how do you do that with the New Covenant? And uh, a long time ago, I saw you know Dr. Neil Anderson's list of all the things that are true about us in Christ from the New Testament, and it occurred to me that each one of those in Christ statements is a term of the New Covenant. So every time in the New Co- in the New Testament you read, you know, in Christ, this is true of us that you you know you are God's child in Christ. You are this is true of you in Christ. That you could read it also. Under the new covenant, this is true of you, right? Under the new covenant, this is true of you. So anytime you have an in Christ statement, you have a uh, under the new covenant statement being made. So starting there, there's a lot of them. So, you know, Dr. Anderson's listed about over 30 of them, I think, of all these in Christ statements in the New Testament. So as I like to do, <laughs> try to organize those into are there buckets that we can collect a bunch of these in that would summarize where all of this is going in this list? And that led me to um, the idea that there's justification, there's adoption, there's citizenship, and there's sanctification. And I thought, well, those are hard words to remember. What if we call justification pardon? <laughs> and adoption can say the same, citizenship can say the same. What if we take sanctification and make it the title saint? And like, I am a saint. It costs over 80 times. It uses sanctification or saint to describe the Christian in the in the New Testament. So I'm like, well, that kind of sums it up. Those are gives us four buckets. So that first one, pardon, is all of the words related to our justification. It's all the legal kind of courtroom terms related to our salvation, our adoption. You know, it's pretty straightforward what that is. Our citizenship, not of the world anymore, but now of the kingdom of heaven. And then this idea that that we're now called saints. It's a it's a new title. And so you go pardon, adoption, citizenship, title, you get pact. So pact is an attempt to create four buckets to summarize all of these in Christ statements that are made about us in the New Testament. Yay. And we are going to take an episode on each one of those, and it's going to be great. So 
Um, I'm going to pause now and pull a note from one of our listeners. This was submitted back during our one-year anniversary celebration, and it's so sweet. So this person says, congratulations on the one-year anniversary of On the Trail. I've listened to every one of your podcasts. I look forward to Mondays when a new podcast is released. Thank you for your time and care in presenting this amazing material. I love the joyful and close family dynamics displayed in your podcasts. You model so much as you talk together. Thank you. My husband and I will be at the family gathering in October. We can't wait to meet you. You are all so precious. And to that, I say huzzah. <laughs> are you surprised? I'm I'm so excited for this conference too. And honestly, we, we're recording this enough in advance there might not actually be space for new people to sign up because it's filling up fast. So if you were hoping to come to this conference, run to the to the <laughs> website and see if there's any space left. Um, otherwise, there will be some online. Yeah, we're planning to have some online yeah. options because it looks like we're going to fill up here uh, maybe even before the month of September starts. I know. So. <laughs> we're, we're going fast. So I'm so excited. We're going to have so many people together and it's it's a wonderful time. Dad's going to be presenting for the first time on his upcoming book, Breakthrough. And yeah, anyway, excited about that. And thank you so much for your notes. And I also just want to say, if you want to uh, if you want to submit a question for us or a testimony or even an icebreaker or something, um, there is a mailbox that I have put a little a little button that leads to a mailbox in my Monday emails. And you can also find it, it on Instagram. It's easy. Just look for the word behold. <laughs> Just look for the word behold in the, in the email and you will find the email. I can e be melodramatic, okay? <laughs> <laughs> behold. The mailbox. Yes, the mailbox. I did say that in my my emails. So yes. All right. Uh, Any closing thoughts for this episode, Father? <laughs> yeah, I know. I just remember the first time I saw that. You're like, could you proofread this email? I'm like, behold the mailbox. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's do that. Um It makes me smile. Okay? It does. It was pretty funny. The um <laughs> uh closing thoughts. You know, I this is a this is a, a topic that you can dive in and, and turn in pretty academic. But one of the reasons that we want to take this pause and really look at identity is that so many of us, the wounds of life have taught us a false identity about ourselves. We feel when we think about our heart values, we words come to mind like disappointment, failure, you know, that I haven't lived up. I'm, you know, God must be disappointed with me. I have word, you know, come up like uh, worthless and things like this. And, I, and so part of the reason we take the time to pause on this is that, is that the world and the devil and our flesh are relentless in trying to rob us of our identity. And they're relentless about trying to keep us from seeing ourselves the way that God wants us to see ourselves. And the reason that that's so important is that when, uh, when I see myself accurately, I it, it facilitates that relationship because I begin to see myself as someone God wants to be with. And that's really the bottom line. If we're, we're doing all this, you could sum it all up, say, we don't need all these podcasts. God wants to be with you. That's really <laughs> what we're trying to say. He wants to be in relationship with you. Yay. That is a wonderful comfort. A wonderful comfort. Well, thank you. And thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week. <laughs>